Hello, and welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about The Assassin's Blade by Sarah J. Mass. This is a collection of five novellas in the Throne of Glass universe as part of our ongoing Throne of Glass coverage. We're very excited to talk about this set of novellas today and probably cry about them. I don't know. <laughs> kind of depressing. That feels, yeah, that feels like the mood. <laughs> Before we do that, Tasia, what are you into these days? What are you obsessing over? Um, I honestly have not had the time to get pretty much anything done um, between work and new puppy. Um, I just like, I don't remember what it was like. It's literally nine days into this month and I have just now finished a single book and it was this one. (laughs) And I will admit that I skimmed a good chunk of it. So that's how this month is going so far. It's great. Um, I did manage to finish one season of a television show. And that was season two of cheer. I remember when cheer first came out early 2020 and I was like deathly ill, which actually might've been COVID because it was like right before things were getting like real hairy, you know, mm-hmm. um, before like they were really widely testing for it or anything. So I was like dead on the couch for like a week. And I, in my, in my delirium, I binged the entire first season of the show and became like obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, season two, Equally, pretty much, it was the only thing I was able to really get through in this, like, the last two weeks. And, uh, yeah, I thought um, it was really interesting this season because in the first season, like, they kind of it kind of establishes Navarro as, like, this main um, cheerleading school that people go to to, like, you know, compete or, you know, competitively cheer. It's, like, the best school to go to. And they... They established like this other school, this Trinity Valley is like their main competitors. And it's always like between the two of them, one of them is winning the um, uh, Daytona, you know, cheer championships. And um, so in the first season, we didn't really see anything from Trinity Valley, but this year they kind of equally did Trinity Valley and Navarro. So it was really interesting getting that kind of perspective, especially because like I went in being like, oh God, they're covering Trinity Valley. I don't care about them. I only care about like my Navarro kids. And um, it was it was really well done because by the end of it, I was like, I don't know who I want to win. I was just really conflicted about the whole thing. I went back and forth over who I thought was better, who I thought deserved it more. I also thought they handled the, um, you know, the, the whole Jerry thing really well. They they dedicated a, an episode to to that, you know, like lots of like trigger warnings and stuff, but like the sexual assault allegations against minors and stuff. And he's currently in jail and he was like the biggest like fan favorite from the first yeah. season. So yeah, they went really into that and uh, yeah, it was uh, engrossing. I appreciated it for being the only thing I could, uh, literally the only thing I could get through in the last couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. I know I would like it. And I just don't know why I've never gotten around to watching it. And now that there's oh, so you didn't seasons? do the first season, yeah. No, oh, I don't I don't know where I was, like what I was doing. I, I it's don't like know. candy. It's like candy. You'll get through it so fast. I know, I know. Now I've like have a lot of scripted shows I was trying to work through and catch up on, and yeah. I'm still like behind on some of them, but that might be a good like third in the mix to break things up because I feel like I need that because I feel like everything I keep watching is very serious, one of which is my obsession for this week, which I feel like I I I think it has a lot of hype still, but I wish I had been watching it 
live, even though it only aired its season finale a couple weeks ago, which is Yellow Jackets. And what a ride that show was. It's on Showtime, which we had to like do some finagling to like get someone's password to access Showtime. Uh, but if you don't know anything about it, it is a show about a high school girl soccer team in 1996 that crashes in the wilderness. And they're there for a very long period of time, like 18 months or something. And it flashes back and forth between 1996 when they're in the woods and then they're 2021 selves and it's kind of like a mystery box like you don't know like where are all the teammates because you don't see them all in the present day storyline and like things like that and so there's a lot going on but what is most jaw-dropping about it is it starts with this sequence like the very opening sequence is a girl like running through the woods and she ends up being trapped and basically shows like cannibalism happening and you're like what is happening in these woods and so like season one was like just very engrossing if you are squeamish at all about like gore and things like that there's kind of a lot of that in there but uh answered some questions and not all the questions and it really laid the groundwork for season two and it's already been renewed so it was just like a wild ride could not stop watching it so Yellow Jackets was one of those shows I like wanted to sit down and do in this last couple of weeks because like I feel like I could really like lock in on that show, mm-hmm. uh, and then I realized uh, that it was on Showtime and I was like fuck. So um, I know, damn you Showtime. But uh, yeah, I remember. I don't know if this is the show, but I remember there being talk on Twitter like years ago about them wanting to do like a Lord of the Flies, but it's girls. And how there was a lot of discourse around that because it was like, well, you can't do Lord of the Flies with girls because it's a very like the whole thing about Lord of the Flies. It's like the yeah. it kind of goes into like the the nature of like boys or men or whatever. And like like you know, if a plane crashed and it was all women, it would all be blah blah blah. Like 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 they wouldn't regress <laughs> in, in society the type of ways as as a group of boys would. But um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I don't think it's the same one. I was listening to a podcast talking about it and they made reference to that, which is why okay. I, I don't think it's. It is the same one, but yeah, it was just, it was really fun. So I'm excited for season two to watch it live because it's been really fun. And yeah, if you can get like a free week or whatever on Showtime, originally like watched one episode. I'm like, I can't watch more than one of these a day. And then I think we watched like four of the eight, like this past weekend (laughs) in one, one sitting and like, that was it. So yeah, uh, it was really good. Otherwise, what I've been into is I started watching the show on HBO Max or HBO, I don't know which one it's on. It's on HBO Max, my home. Is that something I mean, does it, does that even matter? I, like, like all the I same. don't know. I don't it exists. Know. I don't know. Uh, is The Gilded Age, which I, is, I'm not particularly obsessed with. It's not really great yet. It's by the creator of Downton Abbey, which means I had high hopes and they've thus far been let down. But what it did inspire me to do was start reading some uh, historical romances by Joanna Shoup, who writes books set in The Gilded Age. New York. So like late 19th century New York and the Knickerbockers of Fifth Avenue and the lower Manhattan poor people essentially and crime. (laughs) And I'm making my way through her series called Uptown Girls, which is a series about three sisters who are from a very wealthy family in Manhattan. And the varying degrees of criminals that they (laughs) basically end up with. Love to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's a very fun, different era. It's not as like strict as Regency England mm-hmm. was in terms of some of the societal rules that they still exist. And it's just really refreshing to to read 
heroines and romance novel. And I think a lot of the ones that you and I have read are, are like this, but like that are progressive in a way that doesn't feel anachronistic when you're reading the mm-hmm. book. Like it feels like these people are, are really working within the bounds of what society would have been at the time in a way that is still appealing to my own readers. So yeah, that's been really fun. You say like historical romance novel, and then you, you say late 19th century New York, and it like blew my mind. It's like, wait, wait, historical romance has to be Regency or has to be Victorian. Like, I don't, I I don't, it does not compute. I know the Heaving Bosoms podcast, which I love is a romance novel podcast. It's just, they're very funny, but they always refer to like historical romance novels as taking place in England times. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, this is, but like, this is not England times. It's like. New York Times. Uh, so anyway, I'm enjoying that much more than I'm enjoying the show, The Gilded Age. Uh, but it was a, a good segue to get into Joanna Shupo. I've been meaning to read for some time. And last but not least, germane to what we're going to talk about here today is Crescent City, also by Sarah J. Mass. The second book in the Crescent City series is coming out on February 16th. So a few days after this episode is dropping, I read the first book in that series a couple months after it came out in 2020. And I liked it fine. I read it between A Court of Suns and Roses and Throne of Glass. And I think it just kind of got lost in the shuffle in terms of mm-hmm. like what I was obsessing over because Akadar has this incredible love story and then Throne of Glass was done. Like I read yeah. it all. And then it was just the first book. But I reread it in anticipation of the second book. And holy cow, I'm like hype. Like hi, mm-hmm. it is a good book. It's a really good book. And, you know, we've talked a ton on this podcast and we've covered Sarah J. Mess a lot of the problems that she's had. And I was chatting about this off air with a friend of the pod, Jesse, who's been on our guitar episodes. And it's going to be on an episode later in this series with us about how it does seem like Sarah's come a long way in addressing some of those issues, just way more characters of color in prominent positions, not being killed off RIP Nehemia, you know, some, some queer characters who are actually like invested in their queerness a little bit more yeah. than what we got in like Akatar. So she's making headway. And I'm also just feeling like really feral about the ship in that series, like which I really wasn't before. So I'm just I'm really excited. There's no obsession like a Sarah J. Mass obsession as, right? as evidenced by the fact that this is our what, like seventh episode on one of her books. Yeah. And you know, we're probably going to cover Crescent City too. Um, yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> clearly adult, but like we're gonna it's our do podcast. It. We do what we want. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah I remember because you and Jesse both read Crescent City like long before I did. I think probably when mm-hmm. it first came out. I read it only recently. And I remember you guys being like, it's fine. It's like very <laughs> fine. And so I was like, I think that, I mean, I, I'm not blaming you at all, but yeah, like, no. I, maybe it's one of the reasons it took me such a long time to read it because I was like, it's just fine. Yeah. Um, and it's a big honking chonker of a fucking book like this thing is huge so i was like i'm not really ready to invest my time in something that's just fine but i finally got around to it and i read it and i was like wait (laughs) i know like i I think it was definitely just like a mood thing that that maybe you guys i mean and especially between these two epic series like akatar and throne of glass like obviously the first book in this series like you can't yeah compare really um Yeah. I was glad to read it with a little bit of separation and I was, I was very into it. I thought it was really good. And I cried through like a lot oh my of God. It, so. Yeah. I, and, and I remember those like emotional moments from reading it the first time, but yeah, like they hit me again, like even mm-hmm. more the second time around. And I think like the last 200 pages of that book are like so insane. Like they're so ridiculous. And just like 
Oh, oh, emotional gut punch after emotional gut punch. And like, it's just, it's really good. Uh, But yeah, so needless to say, I'm really looking forward to Tuesday and I'm sure it's going to be my obsession the next time we talk about it because I'm going to be like deep in theory mode. uh, Yeah. Which is going to be fun. So, Uh, and then note, I guess we should uh, switch gears to this Sarah J. Mass Booker collection of books, novellas that we're talking about here today, Assassin's Blade. Uh, We want to give a spoiler warning here at the beginning. We said this in our last third class episode, but the real benefit and joy of this collection of novellas is their impact on the long game of Throne of Glass as a series. And so there's not really much to talk about without really talking about what happens in the future of the series. So this is going to be our only episode of this uh, series coverage we're doing that's going to be like full spoiler from the beginning. Sorry, come back, read this book. I think uh, the sooner the better in your Throne of Glass journey. Mm-hmm. It came out again after the first two books. So between Crown of Midnight and Air Fire, that's where we're discussing here today. So that's probably like where most people choose to read it. So, but just maybe save this episode to come back because I think, again, uh, you'll be really surprised at some of the things that come up later that were first introduced here. Yeah, I read it after Air Fire, and I think that was a mistake. Um, I mean, I still, you know, I got what I needed to get out of it, but I think it definitely would have been better if I'd read it after Crown of Midnight. Yeah. So on that note, friends, uh, if you're turning back, we'll see you uh, next episode when we cover Air of Fire. Otherwise, buckle up. (laughs) All righty. So we're going to go one by one here through these novellas. I'll I'll just like read a quick little summary, I guess. So the first novella in... Assassin's Blade is the Assassin and the Pirate Lord. So these are all set before the first book in the series, before Selena goes to Endovier. She's a very different person. We meet her in this first novella. Uh, She is basically sent to Skull's Bay with Sam, who's another assassin in the Assassin's Guild. They're there on a secret mission. They don't know why they're going to be there. They meet with the Pirate Lord, Captain Rolf, and he tells them, oh, you're transporting slaves back to Adderlon and Selena is appalled by this and decides to break up the deal. And she gets Sam involved and her and Sam really don't get along very well, but he agrees to go along with her plan to help free the slaves and the slaves do get away. And that is how that first novella goes. Roughly. (laughs) They miss anything. Hit the the main point. All right. Good. So I think what's, most interesting about this one is like Selena is just, I don't want to say a spoiled brat, like, but she, she's, she's earned it. So like no one's spoiling her, but like Mm -hmm. she's got a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of, uh, just bravado for a 16 year old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything that she has in the early, you know, when we first meet her on throne of the glass, but it's not tempered by her, uh, trauma basically um of, yeah. of being in of losing sam first of all and of uh being in a prison camp essentially uh so yeah she's she's selena unburdened by all of those things yeah she's she is and she's also a product and we'll talk a lot about Arabin on this podcast here today she's also a product of his manipulation and grooming of her. Mm -hmm. And he clearly has 
ulterior motives in a lot of ways where she's concerned. And so she's a product of what he wants her to be. And he really does view her as a possession and this, Mm -hmm. this prize. And he's fed her ego in that way. Yeah. Uh, And like intentionally kind of driven wedges between her and Sam, like places positioned them as like each other's main competitors so that they could never align with each other, like ally with each other. And I mean, and this is their first time really going off and doing a mission on their own with just the two of them. And Mm -hmm. it's the first time that they get a chance, like, like Sam gets a chance to really kind of make some really good points that get like plants a few seeds in Selena's head about, um, Arabin's motivations. Yeah. Yeah. So like Sam is from an early stage. Like you can tell he's the one who's like, something's not right here Mm -hmm. with how this guy operates. And that's not Selena's main motivation here in why she frees the slave. She does it because she's a good person. And this is obviously something that's abhorrent. And Yet it's the thing then that kind of sets in motion her own understanding of the level of control Arabin has in her life and also how just kind of insidious he is. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this one's like fine. I feel uh, we were talking about this before we got in the air. Like this one and like the desert one are very boring to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't particularly care much for them. I do like this one though for the setup for Rolf later. I don't really love him, but I love all the Skulls Bay stuff in Empire of Storms. It's some of my favorite stuff in the series. I love the scene where Aelin's at his desk pretending to be Selena and she's like flirting with Rowan about yeah. Aelin. It's so it's very it's high comedy. Yeah, and it, it's great. And Rolf doesn't know what's going on. So like it's it's worth knowing this history. And mm-hmm. I think why it ultimately works better for me than the stuff with Ansel, which we'll talk about is just because I think like there's more begrudging respect between them here a little bit. Like he respects her and like she manipulates him more versus just like him being solely indebted to her. And that's more yeah. interesting to read, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. My my sole note about this entire plot line basically is that um I don't understand why Aelin decides to sort of trust Rolf later like I know that she needs obviously she needs all the allies she can get at this point in like Empire of Storms and stuff and and uh but it's like later on when she's counting on him to like show up with his crews and stuff that I'm like why are you trusting him like this guy was literally a slaver and uh only stopped because you threatened him so that that's the kind of stuff where I'm like like, I don't really get like the allyship there later on, but it's fine. Right. Um, Cause really even the allyship later on is her again, like a holding a gun to his head basically and kind of forcing him into it. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is, I guess. Well, one of the things too, and this kind of comes up a little bit and you get the early seeds planted here is like Selena for the most part with an asterisk that I'll get to in a second, Mm -hmm. like all the people that we know later in the books, like really do love her a lot. So it's fun to have Rolf be like kind of more just like not going to like lay at her feet. Like it's more antagonistic relationship. The asterisk that I'm going to put in there is that like, she never tells anyone what she's planning or what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And I think reading all five of these novellas really lays the seeds for why she is that way. She fills Sam in here 
reluctantly, but she ultimately does. And that becomes the whole theme of this series of novellas is her trusting him and telling him all of her plans and telling other people her plans. And how does that end up? It depends on Great. Yeah. I, yeah, like I remember I highlighted the line. She told him everything. Cause I'm like, that's like the last time that ever happens um, yeah. because it just, she ends up learning a really tough lesson here. And it's, it's really kind of sad yeah. that uh, even, even with those closest to her, and it's not because of a lack of trust for them, but it's like a, a protection of them or like a, a fear of her like losing them because of her, you know, putting too many eggs in one basket, essentially. And it's just really sad how, how like you really see the seeds of that start right here. Cause I, yeah. I mean, after having read everything and I go back to this and I'm like, she told him everything. And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, that's a real twist in the, of the yeah. knife. Yeah. I'm like, I get emotional thinking about it now because like I am, oh God. <laughs> I have like <laughs> talked a lot on this podcast and with you off air about like, I was like, I fucking love Aelin. I love her journey. It means so much to me. I get so emotional just thinking about the shit she's had to go through and how much she fights despite how tired she is. And like, I know a lot of people and like the people in her life and us as readers get annoyed with her at times for her willingness to just kind of forge ahead without asking for help and without filling people in. And like, that's totally fair. But like, again, as you said, the knowing why it just, man, it really just, it just makes me really emotional. Like she came, she comes so far. And I think, well, one of the things that's really interesting then, and this is a good segue, I think into the second novella, I think we're ready to move on to that one is like how at the end, like she has to rely on people more in order to save the day in King of Ash. And the one who actually does save the day is Irene, who we meet here Mm -hmm. in the second novella, which is called the assassin and healer. And this one's pretty straightforward as well. It's the shortest one. After she lets the slaves go, she is beaten by Arabin and is sent off to the desert to train with the, what are they called? Silent assassins. Yeah. And on the way there, she's waiting for her ship and she's in this town and she meets this wannabe healer named Eureen who came to this town to try to sail to the Southern continent to study, to be a healer. And she didn't have enough money. So she's working at this bar and Selena saves her from being like basically attacked in this alley and teaches her how to defend herself and leaves Eurene money to continue on to the Southern continent and continue on her journey. I will say, and I know this is the case for you too, because we talked about it. So spoiler of Tasia's feelings <laughs> too. This is my favorite mm-hmm. part of Assassin's Blade. It's definitely the most rewarding. 100%. When I first read Throne of Glass, I don't know if you had the same experience, but I knew some things. I knew that Aelin was the main character and I'm like, but they're calling her Selena. Like something Mm -hmm. is happening here. I knew that Rowan and Aelin were the main couple. So I knew in those couple early books that like Selena and Cal couldn't be a thing going forward, but I really didn't know many other ship things, which was actually really fun for me. The most fun for me in that regard, in terms of not being spoiled, was having no idea whatsoever who Irene was. Like, no idea. Just reading this sweet little moment, this interaction. And I remembered, like, the chills I got when I read Tower Dawn and realized who it was. And the payoff of this 
in Kingdom of Ashes, one of my favorite passages in the entire series. Uh, yeah. Um, I I knew that Irene was was gonna end up um Kale's wife because I think I had accidentally seen like a wiki or something that called her like Irene Westfall and mm-hmm. and uh noted her as being like Kale's future wife. So I knew I knew that was happening. But I think like even knowing that it still ended up being so rewarding when they finally met and everything, especially because um there's this great line in this part of the novella where where they say there was such an irony, she realized, in them working together, the assassin and the healer, two opposite sides of the coin. And I feel like literally in just this one sentence, it just perfectly encapsulates how the two of them are able to save the world, but also kind of perfectly encapsulates how like perfectly suited Kale and Irene are, to- are, are together, while also validating his early feelings for Selena, because they are kind of the two sides of the same coin. I'm really emotional thinking about that. <laughs> I know I saw your face. <laughs> I love that so much. You know, one of the things that, and this like, Kale's like not in these novellas. He is like briefly, like there's mm-hmm. a little like moment. Where I love a cameo. I love a cameo too. He's like surly. He's like, I don't want to, basically he's like giving mm-hmm. off. I don't want to be here vibes. <laughs> but one of the thing, like, things that surprised me about this reread in, in respect to Kale is like, it really hammers home for me like how special his and Selena's relationship was even though it's really doomed from the start Mm -hmm. like the fact that she goes through all of what she does in these novellas and still is willing to love again yeah it's such a validation of of her feelings for Kale of Kale as a person like it's it's so it's it's a very big part of her journey i i think it enables both of them to be in a position to ultimately find happiness with the people they are meant to find that ultimate happiness with but like it like it 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 really just grows the the spot i have in my heart for that ship even though it doesn't totally work out like it just it's all it's all very important tasha it's all very important it is it is I mean, and that's what makes this. Sorry, my the squeaking. <laughs> the puppy agrees. Yeah, she's just laying like right next to me with this she's, giant. She, she's a Kalina like, shipper. Okay, she, <laughs> sorry, no, that's funny. I'm <laughs> keeping it in. <laughs> she's just having the time of her life right now. She's so happy. But yeah, so. It, 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 it like I said, it just really makes me have an extra soft spot in my heart for that relationship because mm-hmm. I'm just very proud of them both for their overall series arcs and and especially how she's able to move past what happens in this, this series of books. But yeah, it's it's so it's such it's so it's so rewarding. Irene, <laughs> I love you. You badass. You you go. Yeah. You become a healer. She like literally saves the world. It's. Incredible. Yeah, and there's literally a line here. It says, uh, whether you stay or go to Antica and attend the, the Tory says me, I don't know, and return to save the world, she mused, you should probably learn a thing or two about defending yourself. And then, like, you know, Irene goes off to, you know, teach other women and girls how to defend themselves and literally, like, come back to save the world. Like, literally, that's what she does. She comes back to the continent to save the world. I'm stealing this line from you. In your notes, prayed that somehow years from now, Irene Towers returns to this continent and maybe just maybe heal their shattered world a little bit. 
a little yeah, bit. Like literally just call out exactly what she happens. But entirely, yeah. She does the whole yeah. thing. Oh my God. It's so wild how this entire series comes down to Irene literally being the hero. Like Irene saves the world and she, she really is does. this character in a novella from, uh, it's just wild. And, and that <laughs> she's put in that position because Selena helped her gain the confidence and, yeah. and the resources to be able to go on to learn how to do that. Like, it's just, I love like the, these interwoven stories. I love really intricate kind of like foreshadowing and stuff. So this is just, yeah. Feed it to me. I love it. Yeah. I do really think you can read most of Throne of Glass without, like, you can read Throne of Glass without reading Assassin's Blade. I do think mm-hmm. you can, and it's fine. Like, when these other characters pop back up, when Rolf pops up, when Ansel pops up, like, if you don't know who they are, it doesn't, like, really matter. And enough of the information is, is yeah. It's, it's there. Like, you don't need all of that. But I will always tell people this, like, on the slide without saying why, read Assassin's Blade. And it's because of this novella. Yeah. It just makes the whole thing worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes reading through the desert one. The desert one is so it. fucking boring. What bro. is it called exactly? <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, I think it's like the assassin in the desert. I don't know. <laughs> is that it? Oh, it's is literally it? the assassin in the desert. <laughs> Can you tell we like really love it and pay a lot of attention to yeah. it? <laughs> so, yeah, she's sent out to the desert by Arabin as her punishment for freeing the slaves. And she's to train with the mute master, the leader of the silent assassins. And she gets out there. There's other trainees there, including this chick Ansel, who is the heir to the wastes, which involve the witches. Like that's a thing that comes up going forward. And they are maybe kind of friends here and they're set off on this errand together. And then it turns out, Ansel is a traitor to the assassins and is actually working with the guy that they were sent after. And he, she did this because she wants to get her kingdom back that she's entitled to. And Ansel basically is like, Hey, you're my friend, Selena, come with me. And Selena's like, nah. And Selena lets her live, which has big ramifications going forward because Ansel does pop back up and in kind of like a deus ex machina fashion towards the Mm -hmm. end of the book when Aelin or the end of the series when Aelin needs allies but yeah this is just it's just really it's a long one it's kind of boring and like Ansel I know like we're supposed to take that they're friends like genuinely friends but like I don't know she like kills her boyfriend Mm mm-hmm and then here, it's like not a good look. I think the worst part of it is that her motivations are weak. Her motivations yeah. for betraying the the assassins are weak. Like she, they gave her a sanctuary when she literally had nowhere to go. When she got her her kingdom or whatever taken from her, um, they gave her sanctuary, trained her, like placed her in, in a position where she'd be able to take her 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 world back if she had simply asked for maybe help or maybe you know whatever. But um, yeah, I think I just think her motivations are super weak and I think that really sucks. And I think the only value that she really adds to Selena's story, aside from like the day as I smack, you know, where she shows up later to help out um, because of the fact that Selena spares her life. Um, I think the only value she adds to Selena's story is teaching her the importance of uh, female friendships and the comfort that Selena can and will in the future 
uh, come to rely on. It becomes a really important part of, of Aelin as a character yeah. is her, her female relationships. And while this one I think is poorly motivated and not, you know, it's one of those, uh, tell not show things really. Um, I guess that's, you know, she, she played a, an important part to Selena's coming of age, I guess. Yeah. At least in that, in that way. Cause she'd never had friends before really. And especially not female friends. Yeah. I think what's also a boring thing about reading this novella, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, I think the most uh, transparent attempt at like laying groundwork from Sarah of all of this is like the stuff with Farkin in the spider silk, mm-hmm. which is like, it's cool that it's there, but it's kind of like boring to read. And you're like, why are we talking about this like guy who gave 20 years of his life to get the spider silk? And, but then he pops back up later. He's on the <laughs> Southern continent. He's a big part of tower of dawn. And he's a big part in the end game of this book. So I really hadn't thought of it. And like, obviously, I guess, because the first time I read it, I didn't know the importance of spider silk at all. But it's kind of wild when I when I was rereading this today. And I was like, Jesus, it's I cannot believe how important spider silk turned out to be. Like, not only does Manon use it to repair Brax's wings, but, um, you know, Selena uses it to protect Sam and, and the spiders themselves end up being like Maeve's minions from her realm. And it's just wild to me how important all of that turned out to be because it is you know so boring like little exposition yeah paragraph from this rando dude that she meets who ends up being Lysandra's uncle and <laughs> it's kind of fun that that Lysandra gets gets a shout out here because she says I know a courtesan in, in Rifthold whose madam had a handkerchief made from it given to her by an extraordinarily wealth, wealthy client. And I just think it's really funny that she words it in that way because she could have easily just said, I know a madam in Rifthold. She didn't need to say, I know a courtesan. And she said it because that's just a shout out to Lysandra who ends up being connected to this guy. Yeah, it's important and it's it's laid out there, even though it's not maybe the most uh fun to read about yeah necessarily but again a for effort and it, it's it's there and like literally everything is important there's not mm-hmm. really any wasted space in this set of novellas even if we like some more than others and yeah. i think the the last two we'll just talk about in tandem is the assassin in the underworld and the assassin in the empire <laughs> the kk just like dagger to the heart mm-hmm you know, it's funny, like, you're told in the first two books about, like, Sam die, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, all along that he's gone. It feels important to her story, but it doesn't feel important to us because we don't have that context of, like, their relationship developing until you read this. And then you get to see all of that. So, yeah, it was funny because I did read this after reading Air of Fire. So I was already, and I already knew, too, that, you know, her, her person was going to be Rowan. So... I went into this very specifically being like, I'm not going to get attached to Sam because I know what happens to him, A, and B, I'm very attached to Rowan. So there's no way that it's going to hurt me like this. And I ended up becoming so attached to Sam. And I just really think that's like a testament to how good Sarah is. Like, like I think I texted you today that she has like a direct line to my heart the way that she can make this character that, you know, is going to die. And still like those last few pages of where she's like watching the clock waiting for him. And, and I I feel just so much anxiety reading that, even though I know what the outcome is, it's just, yeah. 
it's a mad it's she's a fucking wizard with that stuff yeah. yeah well and i think too what is really important about these novellas generally and the sam stuff specifically is like we know in the first two books that selena has this terrible trauma from being in Indovier alone, like it's mm-hmm. horrific. It's terrible. And that's like kind of standard fare in a lot of like fantasy stories. You're like an oppressed person and you break free of that to like change the world. But I think what this collection, again, the collection does generally and Sam specifically is like lays like deeper tracks into Aelin's personality and like why she is the way she is. And like, why, again, the things about like not filling people in on plans and just so many other intricacies of her trauma. That's not just like you're thrown in a terrible prison camp. Like, no, like you've been horribly betrayed. You lost this person who loved you. And it's, it excels in uh, laying that groundwork for her character in such a way that's so much more rewarding, even if it's so, so hard to read. You just see how much like Sam molded her as a person. Like Arabin, obviously, he gets so much credit for for making Selena who she was. But on on the deeper levels, on the more important levels, Sam molded who she came, who she ended up being. Her her mantra of like, my name is Selena Sardothian and I will not be afraid. That comes directly from Sam. The uh, it's, <laughs> it's so fucked up. Um, it, I I was just thinking today. I was like dissociating at work, trying to read, trying to get through like these last novellas, um, knowing what was coming and knowing it was going to hurt just as much this time. Me just picturing Sam saying to himself, "My name is Sam Cortland, and I will not be afraid." While he's being tortured to death, like I don't oh, know why I did that. To myself. I don't know why either. I saw that in the notes. I was like, "Fuck you, Tate." <laughs> <laughs> I like fully dissociated at work. Like I, I don't know where my mind went, but it was a bad dark place. Um, yeah. I think what's like a good way maybe to look at it too is like, yes, Arabin shaped Selena Sidrothian, this, this specter yeah, of a person, yeah, exactly. not a real person. And, you know, Sam says to her at the end, one of the last times they see each other is that like, you'll tell me who you are in your backstory when, you're ready and I'll be here to hear it. And like, they never get that chance, but like he would have been so on board with who she was. Like you Mm -hmm. just know that from this, this few chapters. And I think that's a really big like distinction too. And like, there is this whole, the whole of air fires focused on her kind of shedding Selena Sardothian and becoming alien Galathinius. Mm -hmm. Like it's, a whole and in order to do that, she has to, yeah, rehash all of this. But Sam really primes her for that mm-hmm. and makes her realize that, like, who who she's been, who she is at the very beginning is a creation that she's formed with Arabin's influence, certainly. But, like, it's not who she is. And she's she started on the journey. She's not there yet. So, yeah, that makes it really, really hard. You and I both bought, when it was, like, a deal of the day or something, the eight book kindle book set mm-hmm. of throne of glass which made it really rewarding to go back and just search all eight books for the phrase i will not be afraid like my name is selena sardothi my name is aelin galathinius and i will not be afraid and it's just like such beautiful moments this moment gave me chills in empire of storms i think it is aelin is like enraptured by her fire power and she's like burning up and 
Rowan is trying to pull her out of it. And he says, I see you. I see every part of you. And I am not afraid. And then this makes her, her stop and think. And the text calls it a line in the burning brightness. And then she goes, my name is Aileen Galathinius and I will not be. <laughs> I'm just like, it's so beautiful in full circle because you know that like, yes, Rowan's her mate. Like they are meant to be together, but like you definitely get the vibes. Like I said, that Sam would also have seen her. And like, it's just a beautiful like merging of these two very, very important figures in her life. And like, oh. And how like respectful Rowan is of that relationship with yeah. Sam. Like, oh, their whole, ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then like, she says it to like, it, it kills me. The whole scene with her and Dorian using the, the, when she's using the word keys at the end is like too much, but she's like repeating it over and over again during that time too. <sighs> and it's so sad because this, this whole time, like once she and Sam finally like get together and there's just all these like repeated references to like, we have all the time in the world and I'm like, uh, but yeah, just, I mean, I think you have like a great point there about the way that Sam really formed her and gave her these tools, like in, in their brief time together, like as a, as a together in their brief time that he like just gave her so many tools to like heal herself in the future. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've felt at, during this reread of Assassin's Blade, which I was quite frankly dreading, and you and I talked about how we just like didn't mm-hmm. really want to do it uh, because it is such a bummer. And also it's kind of boring. And it's like, you know, she's about to meet Rowan. You know, the story's really going to kick off uh, once you get through this. But it's really interesting because the first time I read this, I was like, I'm not going to let myself get emotionally attached to Sam. And I didn't get emotionally attached to Sam. What I feel like happened more on this reread was actually something similar to how I felt on my reread of Crescent City, which is that, like, I don't love Hunt, who is the love interest of Crescent City. Like, for me personally, doesn't, like, spark joy for me. And, like, Sam, I don't either, but I love him as a ship with Bryce in that series. And I similarly love Sam for for who he is to Selena, like if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like yeah. he he personally, like he's great, he's charming, he has lovely moments. We'll talk about soon. There's soon to be had, but it's like for me, it's like you're not my book boyfriend. Yeah. But you yeah. are Selena's book boyfriend in such an important way that I really just respect what you guys had and what it yeah. means to her. And just that's precisely how I feel about it too. Yeah. Ugh, it's so much. Yeah, um, I guess we have to talk about fucking Arabin because, like, fuck God. this guy. I've, I mean, there, I can't think of of times really where I've more wanted to like dive into a book and personally with my bare hands murder somebody. This guy is, he's fucking disgusting. The way that he used Selena's money, like the money that she bought her freedom with, to buy himself a seventeen year old's virginity. A 17-year-old that he like groomed and played benefactor to for her entire childhood in a similar way that he did Selena's. But in this way, he actually gets to fuck her. So, like, it, I don't know. This it's just really fucking gross. It made me think like, like, I know that part of him bought Lysandra to piss off Selena because they did not get along. And he knew that. Um, and obviously part of him is buying her because he has invested in her and her beauty right. and, and, um, but also like, is part of, is he buying her in part 
to fuck a version of Selena that he can't have. Yeah, probably. Like he can't he can't fuck Selena, so he's gonna fuck this other version of her, basically. Like it's gross. I hate it. I hate that um that this relationship is so muddy, even to Selena, that she can't figure out if he's playing brother, father, or lover yeah. to her. It's just it's fucking gross. And I had forgotten too that like my memories of like Queen of Shadows are murky at best compared to a lot of the other books. But like, I forgot that like she suspects it doesn't like know that it's Arabin. Yeah. And like, she doesn't even like think about how like this possibility, like she kind of does, but she just like forges ahead and it like it lets herself essentially fall into this trap so easily. And like, she, her comeuppance on him ultimately and i i love that lysandra is the one who actually kills him because that's great too they both it's not like a trauma contest like they right. both have he did horrible they, things they both him. earned that yeah yeah but you know it's it's very fascinating if not totally disgusting to like have like read what he does in this book but then like see how she like realizes it and uh, fights back against that because it is a, it's a continuation of like shedding her Selena identity, mm-hmm. but like man, it's fucked up. And like you see, Sam know all this stuff, yeah. like know how how he's grooming her, and and you see her even kind of acknowledge it in some in some ways, but but kind of ultimately like turn away from it. Like she she wants to keep that veil up because she can't handle that this person that saved her from like the riverbanks, you know, in Terrison. And and gave her this new life could be somebody that that betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> Luna says, "Fuck Arabin Hamel." This fucking thing, right? It could be like that. That this person that gave her this life and that played kind of a fatherly, creepy, weird, in in some weird way role for her yeah. could betray her in this way. And um, but I mean, she says it herself. I think it was in the first in the. The assassin and the pirate lord, where she said she thinks Arabin would never permanently. Oh no, no, this was um, after, so this would have been like I think in the the healer or in the desert one, where she thinks Arabin would never permanently maim her, but Sam might have fared worse. Sam had always been the expendable one, and like it's all right there. Like yeah. she know, like and, and what happens at the end where she overhears the guys talk about how they can't hurt her, they can't hurt her, they can't touch her. Um, but Sam had been murdered. Like it's all, it's all laid out right there. Like she knows on some subconscious level, she knows what he's capable of and that he would have done that. Yeah. And like Selena gets a lot of flack for being so full of herself, but, and we talked about this a little bit already, but like, it really is because like, this is what Arabin has made her and Mm -hmm. like told her that that's her worth. And like, she has moments where Sam's trying to convince her to leave and she's like, I got like my apartment and like a lot of money here. Like this is my place. And he's like, like, come on, like we have to mm-hmm. go. And like, it's just, it's really hard. But it, it, I think when you look at her and what she's gone through, I mean, like her parents are killed. She's cast out and like, saved in a river by this guy who then like does all this to her. It makes sense that she's the way that she is. And she, again, she, it is earned. She's very, very good at what she does, but Arabin has inflated her, her worth herself, her feelings of self-worth along with that. Yeah. And I think also made her benefit. feel like she had to posture like that in yeah. order to like keep her position. 
Right. Absolutely. And if you everyone else is a threat and mm-hmm. be loyal only to him, mm-hmm. it's gross. Yeah. I hate it. It's him. super fucking gross. And just him at the end being like, uh, you know, naming his reason for, for betraying her like that. And uh, because I don't like sharing my belongings, like literally he's just jealous <laughs> of Sam, jealous of like a 17 year old boy. And what makes this even more fucked up is that Sam's mother, who was a courtesan herself, was killed by a jealous client and um, had entrusted Arabin to take care of her, her little boy. And this is what he does to him. It's. It's disgusting. Cry again. It like yeah. it's really, uh, it's like hard stuff, man. I just like, oh god, I can't wait till this bastard dies. It's gonna be so great. It's just, I wish he could die like fifty thousand more times. I know. And I, it also feels very criminal to me that Selena herself never got to kill uh, Farron Farron Rourke, who yeah. was the one who tortured and killed Sam. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to shout out like the the Leifer <laughs> Bardingale character. As being clearly like a, a shout out to Lee Bardugo, who was at one point very close friends with Sarah, but also like you're gonna name a character after your your quote unquote friend, and then make this character a slaver and like an absolute monster. Um, R.I.P. to their friendship. Yeah, their friendship was really on the wall, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think a good place maybe to wrap up before like I have a total meltdown about this series is talk about like some Terrace and stuff that we get. Get the end, yes. get the stag as she's going into Endovir, gets her hope, like fuck me. <laughs> like and then we got some uh pine and snow. Yeah, yeah, I loved that. Um, which was one of the, I think one of the main reasons that i I wish I had read this before Era Fire, so that I could have been primed. So like I was already primed for Rowan, but it would have been a nice little like, oh, that's what Terrison smells like. So I could have made those connections a little bit earlier i don't know yeah totally but it's it is remember when i started this I was like oh i like assassin's blade now i'm like yeah so i when i finished it tonight i was like you know and i marked it red on goodreads i was like i think i probably gave it like three stars the first time but this time i felt like i wanted to give it four stars because of the emo- like pure emotional impact like purely for like the last couple novellas yeah yeah i mean emotional impact goes a long way in my my rating system so yeah no definitely is like hitting me more this time around so jokes on me right all right should we do some superlatives here yeah i did want to do one more shout out though like so she mentions the the rune mountains or whatever which is where the uh the spiders are and it's spelled r-u-h-n-n which is um very similar to Rune from Crescent City, who is a main character there. His name is spelled R-U-H-N. And I don't know. I just kind of noticed it. I don't know if it's a coincidence or maybe an accident or if it's kind of like, because yeah. these worlds are supposed supposedly all connected, right? So, Correct. yeah. Um, or not supposedly, they are definitely all connected. So I don't know. Yeah, they are. I mean, at that, I mean, we're full spoiler in this episode, so we can talk about it like in... Kingdom of Ash, Aelin like goes through the different universes and she like sees Reese and Feyre and Valeris and she also passes through Crescent City. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's something to think about. It's very fascinating to think about. It's hard to tell with her sometimes though. She's just like repeating things. Or... Yeah. So <laughs> that's the thing, is it could definitely easily just be an accident. Yeah. Absolutely. So well, all righty, superlatives. Let's do it. 
All right. It's my favorite quote. <laughs> you talked about it. <laughs> cried about it. Yeah. My name is Selena Sardofian. I <laughs> will not be afraid. Oh, my God. Too much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just wrote, I mean, Corinne is correct. Yeah. And you are. So that is, yeah. all, you know, that is the one. But I also like, um, she would tuck Sam into her heart, a bright light for her to take out whenever things were darkest. And then she would remember how it had felt to be loved when the world held nothing but possibility. No matter what they did to her, they could never take that away. And obviously this is devastating, but it's just so important to, to her character and to have experienced that. And like we said, how, how formative Sam was and that relationship was, yeah. that he taught her and, uh. and how it really primes her. Like you could have gone one or two ways and, but it really like primes her to like be open to mm-hmm. loving Kale as much as she does. And like, she's, she thinks this when she and Kale sleep together, but how like she didn't, she, she held back once before and she never got the chance and like i don't even we can't talk about <laughs> sam dying virgin it makes me sad like <laughs> sex is not the end all be all but like there's lots of references to like how he was like into her mm-hmm. but she thinks oh no like this is very momentous we're already doing this very momentous thing like i don't want to yeah. rush to that point and, like totally yeah. makes sense that she wanted to wait it also is extremely sad that and it, you know and it definitely makes sense why she kind of jumped right into it with kale because you know she waited before and regretted it and uh i made myself sad yeah well speaking of sad my favorite character in arc is is selena even yeah. though her arc is like sad but like she's on the beginning of her her overall path and just the step she makes in these five novellas alone is uh really good i like it yeah yeah uh agree completely and shout out to sam because i really loved him with uh with selena i thought that was i mean to build this relationship so much that like i was really invested in it knowing how it was going to end and also already being invested in her other relationship like it's it's good stuff r.i.p sam Cortland. we hardly knew ye but we did (laughs) we did Right, favorite soon. I have written down here him getting her the sheet music for the new music from the symphony. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a piano player, and after she goes to see the symphony, she is trying to figure out what the song was, and she can't figure it out on her own. He basically goes through great lengths to get her the sheet music, and I just think that that is it's just like Pierce Moon. It's mm-hmm. great. It's mm-hmm. lovely. Yeah. Any, any instance where, where somebody just kind of shows how well they know you and just gives you like that level of like, yeah. perfect gift. It's, it's really yeah. nice. All right. So I've got a couple of quotes. I love you. He breathed against her mouth. And from today onward, I want to never be separated from you. Wherever you go, I go. Even if that means going to hell itself, wherever you are, that's where I want to be forever. And like, this could definitely be creepy in any other context, um, but it's just heartbreaking here because, you know, he dies and he does go to hell. And um, where is he now? Because we know later on that, like, you know, people that die kind of hang around in their little afterlife. And is Sam hanging around in their little afterlife? Uh, just being really, really proud of uh, Selena slash Aelin. It makes me sad. A really nice precursor to to whatever end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can cry again because like <laughs> as I said I'm like very clearly respectful of the Kale and Selena relationship however 
this is where things kind of fall short with them is his unwillingness to go with her and for to go with who she needs to be. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, it's part of their journey. It's part of their path. I have nothing but love and respect for the two of them, but like this shows just how much more closer to the mark Sam was. (laughs) Yeah. And it really is like big to whatever end vibes. And like, I think I've talked about it. If not on this podcast, at least with you, like the phrase to whatever end just like sends me into a fucking tailspin. I love it too much. It's too much for me. Uh, so I've got the only secret I've borne my entire life is that I love you. He gave her a slight smile. It was the one thing I believed I'd go to the grave without voicing. Again, absolutely devastating mentions of death um, foreshadowing. And uh, I guess I am glad that he got to voice it before he did, in fact, go to his grave. Worth it to him, though. Makes me sad also. Just mm-hmm. like, fuck. Why do I have to go through all this shit, Sarah? I mean, it, it makes it worth it, but like, damn, my heart. Yeah, it's uh, it's fucked up. Why are we like this that we seek out this kind of like? <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, you know, subconsciously, I think this is why we put off reading this. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, um, yeah, Tasha and I were really delayed in doing our homework on this one. Listeners, we just I just did not literally finish it like minutes before yeah. we started. <laughs> oh boy, but on that happy note, we made it through. And next, we are going to cover Air Fire. This is our one like total SJM throne of glass month. So we are diving right into Air Fire next. I'm actually really excited about it. It's uh, we're starting to get chunkier here mm-hmm. with our pages. But it's going to be worth it. We get to meet Rowan being mean. I like asshole Rowan. It's very exciting. And um, yeah, it's going to be good. I cannot wait to start this Rowan-Alan relationship from the beginning. I'm very excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Let's let's wrap it up here. Let's get out of here. Tasia, where can our listeners connect with you online uh, before they tune back in with us for another chapter of emotional devastation? <laughs> Tune in next time to see uh, how many times we can cry. Um, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. You can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. Or you could shoot us an email if you'd like at actyagepod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts in particular, that would be great. We'd really appreciate it. Other than that, friends, we will see you in Wendland. Yeah, in a couple weeks. Bye, friends. Bye. That is where they go, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 